Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm doing a deeper dive with author Brant Pinvinik. Brant's book is The Three-Minute Rule, Say Less to Get More from Any Pitch or Presentation. I think this is one of the most important business books I have read in a very long time and highly recommend the book. Brand is sharing in his book a step-by-step guide on how to influence and present an idea or service to a prospect or client in a world that has an overload of information and desperately needs clarity. Brand has an extraordinary background as a highly successful career in a Hollywood producer who has sold more than 300 TV shows and movies. He's run a TV network and has also run one of the largest production companies in the world with hits such as Biggest Loser and Extreme Makeover. Brent is a master of the sales pitch. He has consulted with Fortune 100 executives to PTA president, sharing his Hollywood techniques of simplifying the sales presentation message and saying less to get more. Brant also has several nonprofits. One is for Animal Rescue, one of my personal favorites, and another is Camps for Risk Junior High School students dedicated to exposing them to the world of entrepreneurism. He is also involved with St. Jude's Hospital. Hi, Brant. I want you to talk and give the overview of your book. Yeah, it's basically the three-minute rule says that everything about your business product or service must be conveyed clearly, concisely, and accurately in three minutes or less. And so what the book does is it walks you through how to use a Hollywood storytelling technique of leading your audience to draw the right conclusion and figuring out not what you want to say, but what needs to be said to convey that message. And it uses a lot of scientific sort of elements on how people make decisions and they process information. And so if you use the book, you'll be able to put your information into the same way that other people process information. And that helps them understand it. And people who understand things are more drawn to those things. People who don't understand things will never buy and never want to participate. So that's sort of the basics I used you know, the last 20 years of being a Hollywood producer and pitching hundreds and hundreds of television shows. And then spent the last five or six years you know, coaching and working with corporations across all different sectors on how to use those techniques and seems to have gone pretty well. So having a good little time. <laughs> well, I want to talk about, again, you select three minutes, and I think most of our listeners will wonder, well, what about five minutes? What about 10 minutes? <laughs> You've given me 60 minutes to speak, which is the typical business scenario. So why three minutes? So there's actually a little bit of science behind the three minutes itself. I and mean, We started using that as a, as a baseline in the edit bay when we were editing TV shows. Basically, you needed to resolve the scene in you know, no more than three minutes because the audience just, they lose their interest. They've made a decision about what this scene represents and there's nothing else you can squeeze out of it really. And so what you find is that people make decisions in three very specific orders. First, they conceptualize the idea, then they contextualize the idea, then they actualize the idea. So whatever you're presenting or pitching or whatever you're watching or when someone's talking to you, A, you have to understand the concepts. We go through what is the concept that I'm talking about? What are they, what is this about? 
is the first thing. Then they say, like, how does it relate to me? What's the context? How do I contextualize this to my life or what's going to happen to me personally? And then we look to actualize it. It was like, okay, do I want to get involved? How do I buy this? Where do I go? Is it available? All those kind of things. And once we make those, once those three things go through our mind, we've made a decision. And we call that sort of the yes or no. And anybody listening knows you've had somebody come pitch or present or want to convince you to do something. And you've made that yes or no in your mind in like less than three minutes. Like how about less than a minute? How about in 10 seconds, right? right. You're like, you kind of already say no in your mind. That's because you've, you've gone through those three stages right away because whatever the person was saying didn't give you enough information. So you are sort of extrapolating that. What the three-minute rule does is tries to give you the structure of to give people the information. Here's what it is, and then here's how it works. Here's how it's contextualized to you, and then here you you actualize on it. And if you do it right, and if you do it incredibly well, you could extend that decision-making process by your audience by about a maximum of three minutes. And so then they're making that yes or no decision based on as much information as you can get them. And that's what I call the information stage. And that's the most important stage, the first three minutes. Talk about this issue again, typically with business presentations in particular, especially in the financial services area. We're talking about you're allocated 60 minutes. And obviously what you're saying is in a specific order, how to present that information within three minutes. It's a frightful experience for someone presenting when they have time to fill. And I think that's a lot about the point that you're making about PowerPoints. I think now we've gone to the world of let's throw up some more PowerPoints and hopefully that will answer your questions. And so talk about that. Yeah, because you know, here's what happens, right? Is that, and I'll, I'll dial this back a little bit so you can sort of see the foundation of it is that when you have something that you want to convey to somebody and you have something that you believe in and that you're passionate about and that you want to, to showcase and present, you have every single piece of nuanced information put in the exact right order in your mind that produces the maximum amount of value. An entrepreneur who starts a business or someone who really wants to convince you to do something, they could not be more passionate about what it is. They could not see more value. They see the maximum amount of value. So you with your business at home or anybody listening or whatever you're pitching or presenting, like you see the 100% maximum possible value. Most people even see beyond that. They see potential and value that may not even be real, right? And Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with an audience, you're talking about someone who's at zero. And so the issue is, is that people take all kinds of different areas of their information and ram them out like a shotgun to everybody, as much information as they can possibly get. And they genuinely believe that the more of the information I can get to you, the faster, the more you'll see value. You'll go from zero to a hundred like me. You'll be, which is so strange that that's the the mentality we're in because I've been living with my idea for three years. That's how I got to 100%. You don't even have three minutes. How do I expect you to get to 100%? The goal is to get somebody the foundation so that they can build that value. And so when you're talking about presentations and slides and PowerPoints and information, you, you really have to understand that your audience starts at zero. They genuinely start at zero. And so the building blocks of the information, if you can put them in the right order, you will be able to build a good foundation where they understand it. And then all that other incredible info that you have, the nuanced elements, the big opportunities will have relevance to them, but you can't throw that out 
all at once. It has to be nuanced and pushed out there slowly. That's where people run into the biggest problem is they just want to tell everybody everything all at once. Very true. And so you have a specific order and, and you call it the, the WHAC yeah. format. And it starts out with what is it? How does it work? Are you sure? And can you do it? Yes. Why that order? And what, what does that mean to someone presenting? Yeah, so we call it the WAC method. And these four stages mimic exactly how people make decisions and build information in their mind. It's called the rationalization story. Mm -hmm. So when you make a decision, you rationalize it. We're the only species on the planet that uses rationalization to make decisions, right? Every other animal uses instinct and fear. We use rationalization. Once we make a decision, we rationalize why we did it, why we're going to do it. So that story that you build in your mind, you have to go through those four stages. And so the way... It works as W is is what is it? And I mean, literally, what is it? That's the first thing we want to know. And if you've ever heard somebody droning on telling you something, your brain is like, could, wait, could you just tell me what this is? And like, and the next one is, how does it work? That phrase, like you, you everybody understands it. It's like, uh, wait, could you just tell me what this is and how it works? Like, that's what we crave. Our brains need that. And if you don't give it to me, I will make it up in my own mind. I will just... I'll get an idea of what I think it is, and I'll get an idea of what I th- what how I think it works based on whatever you're trying to say, and I need that right away because I can't even listen otherwise if I don't get that piece. So if you build the very beginning, which is what is it? Let me give you an example. So I am a personal trainer that trains actors to prepare for major action films. Okay, so that's what that's what I do. That is what it is, as simple as possible. Now, in one sentence. Anybody listening, I bet, could basically describe what this person does in pretty good detail. And it's a pretty good idea now. You could extrapolate a whole bunch of things. You already know, sort of, you get an idea. They must be in, probably in Los Angeles. Movie actors, you know, for action roles, probably need muscle. So they're probably weightlifting training kind of guys. You know, to build weights, you probably need good diet. So they probably deal with diet. Like, I didn't say any of that stuff, but your brain kind of understands that already because i've told you what this person does right the h is how does it work because the second i understand what it is you do i want to know how you do it i want to know how that actually works okay so in this case it would be i move in to the actor's home and live with them for 90 days before the role so that i can be there for every moment of every training and diet piece now in just basically two sentences Anybody listening right now kind of already knows the value, what this trainer does, what they represent, who they're basically geared to. Like, that's two sentences. And if you're not somebody who needs this, wants this, likes this, like, you've already, you've got it, right? And those are the two first things. Once you can get that out, people are like, oh, I'm interested. How, you know, now there's, now there's a foundation. Now I can start to talk about. A, are you sure? Are you sure is that validation point? Now that you understand what it is I do and how that I do that, I kind of want to tell you that it works or that I've done it before or that I have a patent or that, you know, any of these things. Like I am sure about what I what I'm doing. And in this case, it would be like I trained The Rock for Fast and Furious. I trained Ryan Reynolds for Blade. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I I work directly with the studios. Now you have a, a picture of all that. And the last phase after that, you know, I mean, I, you know, I can pitch this in three sentences. The last stage is like, are, like, can you do it? Right? Like, are you available? Like, can we work together? How much does it cost? 
Like those are the things where it's like, now I understand it all. Now I want to know, like, can I actually make it happen? Is it available this year? You know, do you have enough time? Can you fit it in our budget? Like all of those questions about how do we actualize this? And this one would be, I work directly with the studios. They pay me. I'm a thousand dollars a day. I'm booked until next January. Like, and that's kind of the range. And so now you're like, okay, now you don't know all the details. You don't know how much is weight training on one day, how much is weight training on two days. I didn't tell you that he's a kinesiologist by trade. He didn't tell you any of that yet. I need you to get an understanding. Now that you have an understanding, we can talk for an hour because now I can tell you that um, what I do, how my diets work, when I ship this, how does it work? Where do I stay? Like all those other things that make his system work so that Ryan Reynolds look the way he does. I can get to that. I don't need to get to it right away. I need to get you to understand what I do. I'm a personal trainer. I only train actors getting ready for action movies. I move into your house for the next 90 days. I never leave your side. You can't break diet. You can't break training. It's like I've trained some of the biggest movie stars in the world. The studio pays me. I'm really expensive. Duh. I'm available in January. Like, now, if you understand that, this all becomes relevant. Everything about the way he works now becomes relevant. And that's really what the WAC method does. It puts your presentation into a very specific order that now it's like, okay, now we can get to the good stuff. And so when you're giving the length of time, Brent, that, that you are to present and you do this three minutes, there is obviously of that three minutes, there's a, more of an emphasis on certain parts and, versus other parts. And that seemed like the first two parts of what is it and how you do it is really most of the three minutes. Talk about that. Yeah, because, you know, and people ask me a lot about, hey, what, what happens? I have a 20 minute presentation to do. How should I do that? And I was like, that's great. But your first three minutes need to contain the most valuable elements. It needs to be what you do and how you do it. And you need some validations. And there's, I always, like, even when I'm training keynotes and whatnot, I will say, like, we're going to get to a spot here, two minutes. And it doesn't have to be all three minutes. Like, sometimes a minute and a half is the best. Right. You get to the point, and it's now this metaphorical sort of transitional moment to be like, any questions? But if you're giving a presentation where you're not asking questions, it's this moment where you're effectively metaphorically saying, okay, now I'm going to answer some questions that you probably have, right? And then you can go into the, what I call the engagement phase. And so most of what you do in the information phase at the beginning is simply exactly basically what it is. What is this and how does it work? And because everything else after that is a far less, and I, and I give it sort of percentages, right? Like the, the what is it and how does it work and take up like 80% of the selling process or the convincing process. If someone believes in what you do and how you do it, all those other elements, like if you've done it before, if it's new, if it costs too much, those things can all be overcome. But you can never overcome if someone doesn't really understand what it is and they don't understand how it works. You're, you're done. And so I will spend an inordinate amount of time getting those two things right and then worrying about all the rest. All the, other, all the rest will fall into place. So, Brent, you talk about that speakers make the biggest mistake of combining information with engagement, and that certainly right. is true. So talk about wh what that is about, because I think a lot of maybe trainers emphasize the engagement part and don't really emphasize the right. information side. 
Yeah, and that's hard for people to understand because the engagement part is the fun part, right? Right. It's the cool element about your pitch. It's what makes it unique and fun and interesting and like all that kind of stuff. And so you want to get all that stuff in there. But until someone has a foundation of understanding, they can't have value. They don't have value to place on that information. They don't. And so you think, and this, I mean, how many times people listening, have you had this happen where you explain something to someone and they're like, I don't get it. Or they're like, yeah, that's fine. And you're like, what? I just, how could you not understand this? How could you not see it the way I see it? Right. Right. And it's because you've, you've gone into an engagement mode, telling them things about your product, your business or service that they don't understand, or they don't have value to yet. So what you think is important and valuable isn't because we're not talking from the same perspective, right? And the same thing, if you've, if you've been working with someone and you realize that once they start to understand your business or product, they start coming up with good ideas. They get excited about other things that are in there. You guys share conversations that are deeper and bigger and more about potential and where this business could go and all those things. Surprise, surprise, that comes from people who actually understand your business or your product or your service, right? People who are on the inside, people who have spent time with you, people who have gotten past the, hey, what is it? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will treat new presentations like they're talking to someone who knows everything already. Right. And that never works. Right. Well, you talk about statements of value, you talk about the hook, and you talk about the edge, which are all components of this three-minute. So why don't you explain that for our listeners? Yeah. So the statements of value are, are basically what I just did in the WAC. Like, what's a statement? I am a personal trainer is a statement of value, right? I train actors for movie roles. Those are simple, less than 10 words statements that basically give a piece of information. So what I train a lot of times is I start with bullet points, just bullet point things out. Then we move to statement of value, just so it's like these one sentences so that you can see, because really now what you want to find out is like, okay, what do I say? What do I not say? What needs to be said? What do I want to say? And you can start to separate those things and then you can find the order, right? And so one of the biggest things is what I call the hook of the story. And the hook of the story is that main piece of information, the one thing that is like, that makes it the most important that you go, oh my God, that's amazing, right? And what people want to do is that in a in a pitch, that would be your quote unquote, your conclusion, right? It's, it's that this investment will make you uh, 20% over the next 12 months completely safe or... I can, you can eat, this diet is so good. You can eat whatever you want and still lose weight. It'll be so easy. Like these are big statements. There's kind of, if those were true, those would be the hook. And the problem is what people want to do is they want to start with the hook of their story. And what that does is that's called the state and prove method. It's an old advertising method that's been right. done for decades and decades. And if we, if we had a time machine and we go back to the eighties, it would still work. But today people are very distrustful and nobody think about the elevator pitch. If someone was in an elevator and they leaned into you and said, excuse me, I have an investment opportunity that could double your money by the end of the year. You don't go, Ooh, tell me more. Not yeah. interested. Right? right. And that's, Whereas if I was able to explain to you, uh, I'm in the oil and gas industry, uh, I have a lease on this land here, but, and I could explain to you the details, you at the end, if it was true, would be like, wow, that means I could double my money by the end of the year. So it's like, that's the hook. You can't lead with the hook. And unfortunately, we've been teaching that for so long, where right. it's like, start with your big statement, your big vision, like something that gets people's attention. It's like, 
are you kidding me? Like, do you really think that works today? It's like the old sales technique where we told people to use the person's name. Hi, Bob. Oh, Bob, what do you think of this? Yes, Bob. Like, can you imagine if someone did that to you today? You'd be like grossed out. Right. Completely. That's where you end up with that. The hook, the hook of your story is something you should lead to so that people can get there. It's like in Hollywood, we don't do that. We don't, my favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption, we don't start the movie by saying Andy Dufresne escapes from this horrifying prison. Let me tell you why. Right. (laughs) Spoiler alert if anybody hasn't seen the movie, but, but you know, that's not how we do it. Right. We take you through the characters. We walk you through the situations. And at the end of the movie, even if you've seen it a hundred times, you want him to escape every single time we build you to the conclusion that we want you to come to. And you can do that in any pitch or any presentation. If you know where your hook is and what you want the conclusion to be, you build to it. You do not start with it and then try to prove it. You inform and lead, not state and prove. That is exactly right. That that is a traditional method that is actually taught even today, which is really unfortunate. Terrifying. Terrifying, right, because you're exactly right. People's really highly distrustful for obviously obvious reasons, and so it's a state of the times. So what about the edge side of it? What, what, what is your how, – how would you explain edge to someone? Well, so the edge is that – like the edge is something that your audience wouldn't have figured out on their own because it's a short time frame. But once they understand all the concepts and the hook, you can be like – it's the added bonus. It's that little story that's that little piece that's that, that ties it all together, right? And if you can save that till people really understand it, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, it has value. And so I use the example of Bar Rescue, probably one of my biggest shows. You know, when, when we pitched that show to Spike TV, the hook of the show was John Taffer is Gordon Ramsay for bars and nightclubs. Now, if I would have said that when I sat down with the president of the network, his instant thought would be like, Gordon Ramsay, really? He doesn't look like Gordon Ramsay. He doesn't have an English accent. I mean, I don't know. That's a pretty, you know, <laughs> Gordon Ramsay's pretty impressive. Like, okay, show me something. Like, that's not the that's not the position you want to be in, right? We explained the show, explained who John was, explained what we want to have happen and how he does his, what he works. And swear to God, the president of the network said, so, oh, so he could be our Gordon Ramsay for boards and nightclubs, right? Like, that was the conclusion. He actually said that in the meeting. That's how I made that, that story's in the book. So, but the difference is now that the president understands, here's how the television show works. Here's why, here's who John is. Here's why we think he's the right person for this and why we think it's the right person for this network. Like the hook is he's going to be John Taffer for our, for our TV show. He's going to be our Gordon Ramsay for our TV show. And now we can use what I call the edge, something that really ties it together. In this example, it was John telling the story of the butt funnel. And the butt funnel, if anybody knows the show, they know what the butt funnel is. But the butt funnel is basically John in the meeting was like, okay, so I use the butt. The, we, we do various things in the shows, cool techniques. Here's the one called the butt funnel. And everybody's looking like, what the hell is that? It's like, well, every bar. And every nightclub has a natural sort of walking path where people come in and they walk around mm-hmm. the sort of the outside is tr- almost like a track to see what's going on, to see who's there, to see what's happening. And this is this sort of flow from the bathroom and around up to the bar. And it's this flow. And what John does is he designs what's called a butt funnel where he has furnitures or a feature that makes it where two people can't quite fit side by side vertically. They have to turn 
slightly to get past each other. When they do that, their butts will touch. And when men and women touch butts, that causes inter- physical interaction. When they have physical interaction, it, induce, it increases endorphins. When they increase endorphins, they buy more booze. When they buy more booze, they spend more money. When they spend more money, the bars make more money. Boom. And so he told that story. We sold the show. That was the end of that. But you could not tell that story and explain that John does all these techniques called and this butt funnel without understanding what the show is, right? Because by that time, it was kind of like, wow. Now I want to get into it. So the edge is always that fun, interesting story that like illustrates how effective your hook is, how effective that conclusion is. Right. And so it's really a, a really fun technique that it like gives you. And, and most people, when they read it, but they need that because they have something that has happened in their business that they want to tell the person so badly. And they <laughs> tell that story too early. And it's like, I don't understand why that's relevant or I don't understand why that's so cool, you know? And yeah, that's right. and that's a big piece to be able to separate that. It's something that the audience kind of wouldn't have known. The hook is something the audience should absolutely know on their own. You almost don't have to say it. And the edge is something that would be surprising and really cool. Well, you also make a radical comment that I have to have you speak about. You say the best ending is no ending. Talk right. about that because... <laughs> Every business person in the world uh, has been taught differently. Let me give you an example. Like, you know, when you watch, if anybody's watched Shark Tank, they, they, it starts with the same thing. Hello, sharks. I'm Bob. And this is what pitch. And they tell you the pitch. And at the end, it's always some sort of, so sharks, who wants to take a ride on the fun side with this? And every single time the sharks are like, Ugh. and you're, you kind of roll your eyes at the sort of the cheesy thing. And so when you've built an ending, a specific draw the conclusion ending, it unfortunately does exactly what it's designed. It draws a conclusion to your pitch. It reminds people that they are being sold to and pitched to, and that now it's like a new section that they have to respond and, and that you've rehearsed this and you've built it. Like it reinforces all of those things when it's really not necessary. There is no corny, cool ending that you need. If I'm presenting or my keynote, I literally just put up my logo and was like, and that's it. Any questions? Or it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. It is not a cleverly designed, like fun worded. None of that stuff has any effect. In fact, it has a decreasing value. The more energy you put into wrapping up your pitch, the less impact it's going to have. You could actually, you could actually undo some of the good work you've done, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's always a joke that, you know, we always talk about not pitching past the cell and, and we make the joke all the time where you're pitching a, a network. If you're in there pitching the network, a TV show. And at any moment, if the executive says, I like this, you're like, okay, that's it. We're out. I'm done running away. And, uh, because at the end of the day, you can't say anything after that, that helps you. You can only hurt. And there's a great story about, I won't say who she is, but she was the president of our ABC. And there was a story that everybody knew that they had sold the show eight episodes. And as they were leaving, they were talking about other shows. And he said something about, oh, that was the worst show I've ever seen. And what he didn't know is that that was a show that the president (laughs) of the network had bought and produced at a different job. Sure. And so by the time they got down the elevator and into the parking lot, the president of the network had called the agent and said, we're not doing the show. Yeah, And so they had lost this. Episode. And then, by the way, that was a very popular story. Like every agent would tell every producer that story. Right. Yeah. And so now the irony is, is that years later, I asked Andrea about this story because we were close enough that I felt like I could ask her that. And she's like, 
yeah, that never happened. I would never have done that. <laughs> if I was pissed off at someone, I just would have passed. I never that never happened. I was like, what? I was like, no, that never happened. I was like, oh my god, it oh. basically it basically created the aura of the culture around here to just get out of the room as fast as possible. But it's still a good lesson. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it is a good lesson. Yeah. Well, you have to make some comments about your war on PowerPoint. I agree completely. <laughs> Never anything worse than seeing somebody read PowerPoints. <laughs> so talk about well, it. and they do it a lot, right? Because right. it's like a crutch, right. and no one will like <laughs> you putting your PowerPoint slide up. I don't know what people think it's going to do for them. But for the most part, if it has a whole pile of information, one of two things, they're not going to read any of it. So it's a complete waste. That's A. Or B, they start reading it and they don't listen to a word you say. So it's like, well, which one did you want them to do? Right. You want, do you want them to read it so they're not listening to you at all? Then why didn't you just send it to them? Or do you want them to not read any of it and so it just looks like a picture? Like, which is the one? Because there's only two options, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so people are like, uh, uh, and it's like, yeah, pick one. They're either going to read it and ignore you, or they're not going to read it. And it's a waste of time. You could have anything on there. So when I use slides, I use PowerPoint, of course, but I only augment the key points. I use bullet points. I use black and white slides. I don't use, I don't use fancy graphics. I don't do any of that stuff. I'm not, my PowerPoint is not to help me pitch. It's the PowerPoint is to help help convey the information and reinforce the most important elements of it. Well, you end your book with words of wisdom from your mother about, are you putting on red lipstick? And I thought that was really an interesting (laughs) idea. Your information as presenter is more important than the actual delivery of the messenger. Talk about that. Well, what I find the most interesting is, (laughs) this is funny because ironically, it's one of the things I come across most times in my consulting is that people do not want to do the work. And when I talk about don't, you know, are you putting on red lipsticks? It means, are you working on something that's easy to work on that you think is going to make a a difference in your pitch because it's easy to work on. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what my mom in the singing group that she does is that the, when she's coaching these choruses, they don't want to work on their vocal resonance. Mm-hmm. They don't want to work on their vibrato tones. That's a lot of work and it's difficult. And it's incremental changes. What they want to do is like, Hey, should we p- get new dresses? Should we put on different <laughs> lipstick? Should we do our hair different? Should we make some new choreography? Right. Cause that's easy and fun. And so you want to go there. And that's why sometimes when I'll, people will hire me, they're like, Hey, can you, can you train us to this? What should we wear? What tie should I wear? What, how do I present this? It's like, yeah, none of that matters. Unfortunately, right. your information is weak. And it's not in a good place. And so all the fluff around it, making better graphics, you know, putting on the way you present it with music, anything like that is not going to help you. And people will focus on that because they think, hey, this is something I can do and I should do. And it's easy and it's kind of fun to work on that. It's not fun to go strip your information down to the bones and build it up again. Well, I think that's the last comment that I wanted you to talk about is it isn't easy. Simplifying a presentation does take hard work. And I talk about from a time frame and because often what I see and you talk about it a lot in the book is that it's just like a brain dump and you're supposed to figure out what's being said. And to simplify is not easy. So talk about 
the time length to it and, and really the process that you go through in your consulting business. <laughs> I make the joke all the time. It's taken me 20 years to say things in three minutes, right? <laughs> it's a varied and – and a good example is, is in the – when I wrote the book, the publisher was like, hey, you know, you write the intro to the book after the entire book's written so that you know what's in there and you can mm-hmm. like summarize and yada, yada. And I had this brilliant idea. It's like, well, it's the three-minute rule. My intro is going to be three minutes long, right, to read it. Right. It's four pages. Right. And I was like, this is a genius idea because most business books, the intro is right. 14 pages long. And you're like, right. wait. Right. That, and But most people decide to read a business book in the first six pages, which is basically three minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. So I went on vacation. I wrote the book. I'm in Jamaica. I'm there for two weeks. I'm like, I'm going to spend the first couple of days. I'm going to write the intro, and then I'm going to take some time off, okay? So I write the, write the intro, first pass, 13 pages long. <laughs> My own book. The guy who's telling you to shorten it, my first pass is 13 pages long. Whoa, hey, got to pull that together. So I spend the next couple of days shortening it, and I did, down to nine pages. Nine pages after six days. Oh, my God, I can't do this. I keep going. I get it to seven pages. I get it to six and a half pages. Finally, I even called the publisher, and I was like, uh... Hey, like, is it like pages or words or because I'm writing like on a big page? Like, how does it? He's like, no, it's exactly the number of words for the page. So, you know, in the actual book, it might be six pages, but it's still the same number of words, you know? And I was like, oh my God, like, I am long. And so I started to negotiate with myself, saying, like, well, maybe this intro for this book is so good. It's so well written and it's so poignant and it's so important that. Maybe for this moment, this rule doesn't apply because the information that I've created is so genius, right? And the phrasing is so amazing. And so eventually I lasted about an hour and I was like, you idiot, like, come on. And I couldn't do it. Two weeks, never got it done. I had to come back to the house. I had to go to the office. I had to start from scratch, bullet points, putting up the, my, my post-it notes, separating into the whack method. And I finally got the intro down to its sort of four-page Mm-hmm. three-minute version. But I'm a prof- I'm like a, I'm a professional and it was hard because it was my information. When I go into a company, it's easy for me. I just hack and slash. No, you don't need to say that. Sure. But when you're close to it, it's very difficult. So, you know, you really need, and it's hard because people think they, they can skip over the basics. It's like, no, you need to start from scratch. Start with the bullet points, get the post-its out, put them in order one and two words at a time so that you can see what those thoughts are, which each individual statement is. And then you can start to order them in the right process because you're probably using phrases that you've been using for years, the same phrases over and over again. And until you can strip that down and start, you, you won't make any progress. And so when I talk from a time frame. What would be, I know you do a lot of consulting work. You talked about it in the book. And so when someone engages you and you're going through this PowerPoint presentation that's 100 pages and you're having to simplify, how long is that taking you? You know, in the first day, it usually takes me one solid day to get all the information so I can understand, like, well, why are you saying all this? Like, what part of this is making you say that? Where's the, what's the underlying value here that you have that I'm missing? Right. And so I find that eventually people sort of get their brains around that when I can see it all. And then we start to sort of put it back together. And by sort of day two, we've got a pretty good outline of what these pieces are. And then I'd say that that the two day when I do like a two day workshop with a company is usually the, the most effective 
because then it's like now I've restructured everything. We've got it into its own thing. Now they can start to live with the new style. They'll pitch it. It'll be very. They'll get great reactions. It'll. They'll get more confident. They'll feel better about it. They. They start to use less words because they feel more confident, which is exciting. So there's a lot of that that starts to come alive quickly. Well, it isn't easy, as you said, and I certainly think you've done a fabulous job in explaining how to do it, which I think is the virtue of the book. Any last words, Brant, for our listeners today about this process? Because it is completely different than what is normally in business. Yeah, I think the idea is to try it. I go to the simplest thing. If you had to tweet out your business and that was the only thing you ever got to do, 144 characters, If you just that exercise alone. Just try that. And then you'll see like how much information you can squeeze into 144 characters. You'll be shocked. And I mean, look at TikTok. These, mm-hmm. When you look at some of the, the information and what people are able to outline and create and the stories they're able to tell in seven minutes or seven seconds, it's like mm-hmm. the world functions on that. And I think you'd people would find if they can get their stuff into into those small tidbits, like I said, start with 144 character tweet. How would you, and if that was all you could say, what would be the most important thing? If you force yourself to do that, it'll help a lot. Well, I want to thank you, Brand, for sharing your thoughts on your book. Your book is fabulous. I highly recommend it. And I really appreciate you spending time with us today. Thanks so much. Anytime. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at psherlock at qfsconsulting.com.